it's uh, stirred, not shaken. That was right, wasn't it? Perfect. You're listening to On The Rocks Blog, the podcast here on Anchor FM. Stirred, but not shaken. Well, hello again, everybody, and welcome into the show. Hope you're all having a great day out there, and I'm glad you could join us. I'm your host, Micah Hirschberger, coming to you from Sydney, Montana. And with me today is our resident award-winning web technology services provider, coming to you again from Egan, Minnesota. We welcome back Marshall Mullet to the show. Marshall, how are things going? Hello, Micah. Uh, doing really well. Well, great. Um, I appreciated you taking the time to do this podcast again. Um, as I was kind of reflecting on the last couple of shows, you know, I remember when we started this, I, the plan was to do it all in one shot. <laughs> and that, that was clearly by about halfway through the first one, I was like, no, 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 this is, <laughs> this is going to take a few, a few goes. Um, but I really appreciated the the way we've gone kind of from the macro perspective of looking at big tech as a whole and now narrowing in to the nitty gritty. And, and in this episode, we're going to hit some of the specific ways families and people can protect their privacy and their data in our interconnected world online. And, you know, as I was reflecting on the past couple of episodes, I think something that stuck out to me and you mentioned it in our texting back and forth in our in our pre-show stuff the outline that you sent over the the word trust comes up a lot and just that that is really a theme here um you know i guess go go through that really quickly why why is trust so important in this conversation yeah, well, essentially, yeah, we're trying to establish who who can we trust, right? Uh, where where does that trust lie? Because we have to trust somebody, and otherwise we wouldn't be able to uh, exist very well, right? We we can't provide everything for ourselves, so we have to find things or people that we trust, systems that we trust, maybe. Uh, yeah. Or, so yeah. What what what? Who do we trust, and how do we trust them? Yeah, and I uh, something that also kind of stuck out to me was I studied this a number of years ago in comedy, which was the use of hyperbole because I, I noticed that like the, the British are much more understated in their comedy, whereas Americans are much more uh, prone to exaggeration to prove the point. And it's interesting that hyperbole kind of plays into this whole thing because I think we react I think we overreact to a lot of things and, and, and certainly the rhetoric in politics is a lot of times over the top. We say things to emphasize, to emphasize things. We say things that we don't truly mean, but they're kind of overinflated a little bit just to give emphasis. And I, I wonder if we kind of do that a little bit when it comes to, to the issues of trust as well. I mean, we watch a lot of the spy movies and things like that. And there's kind of this belief that, you know what, if, um, if I'm out in the field in the middle of nowhere, there's some satellite that's, that can still track me and anywhere I go and anything I say and do, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like mission impossible or something. They're everywhere. They can hear us all the time. And I, I, that doesn't really seem to be the case here. I think what we're really talking about is trying to establish um, 
what are the main concerns? Where are the main issues that expose you to some of these big players, right? I mean, that's that's kind of more or less what you're talking about, right? It's like separating separating out myth from reality, separating, saying, okay, no, that's not really an issue. Um, you know, for example, there's laws that protect us. Uh, you know, there's, there's encrypted data, things like that. And on the other hand, you see, well, I mean, I guess it's a matter of, of, of trusting those, and that's what you're talking about. But um, what do you think? Do you think that's a valid point that hyperbole kind of drives some of our maybe a little bit overreacting to certain situations? Yeah, well, the, the reality is that we're just not that interesting, right? Most of us. Right. Are, nobody cares, you know? Right. So, so there's, there's that aspect of we all, you know, we see ourselves at the center of, of our world and everything. But uh, a lot of the times, why – why would you know with without you know there are of course low-hanging fruit that had opportunities and stuff for for people to take advantage of and especially in the aggregate you know the, uh, the entire population you're all they're all going to be a target in some way but right you know, yeah nobody, nobody cares that much about you most likely right well then go through i guess reestablish the threat actors then uh you talked about hackers corporations and government and obviously I think people in today's society are mostly concerned about what corporations are doing with our information or with our data and what government can and cannot do. And we haven't really talked about hackers, but go through, like go through those threat actors one more time for us. Yeah. So I kind of talked about that with the, the first one being the hackers who are simply out to make money They're It's kind of their job, right? They're, they're just trying to uh, get access to yours essentially. Maybe, um, their credit cards and, and maybe get you to wire money somewhere or just use you as a as a leaping point to another attack to somebody else. So those are the, the, the hackers. The corporations are, are pretty easy to identify. They're the companies who own the technology. So Facebook's, Google's, maybe even Dell's and you know, people who make computers uh, uh, and chips and stuff like that. And then, of course, the governments. They And we have to look at, uh, well, yes, yeah, so the governments are the the state actors who have authority right they've they've got the power um and and everything like that so they've got that power uh they're the, mo the co and let's look at motivations right like what do uh each of those red actors want well with the right. hackers we already talked about that corporations they're going to be looking for money right they're they're motivated by money to make money for their shareholders and their constituents and their uh stakeholders and right. ultimately they're going to be kept in check by their customers. You're not going to buy their product if it's going to be leaking your data all over the world, right? Uh, that happens. You see a big hack like with what happened to Target a few years ago, uh, and it, it took away from trust in that organization, and it probably hit their bottom line. So ultimately, uh, they're going to be held in check by their customers. They're also held in check by the government. Right, the government's going to be creating regulations to say that they need to protect data. We've seen that in the EU and California and in the U.S. Uh, as well, to some level. But that's going to be what's holding those people in place: is the government, their customers. Uh, now, the government is a bit of a tricky, a tricky nut to crack, right? Because ultimately, they're supposed to be kept in check by the people that they govern, uh, but that's not always the case. And we have governments like North Korea and governments like China who clearly have been uh, on the wrong side of this, you know, yeah. especially regarding security and trust. Right. And I think too, I think 
right now in today's political climate, I think trust in the American government is at an all-time low for a lot of people. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, and just in terms of them feeling like, okay, the government is going to overstep. They're not going to follow their own laws. There's going to be backdoor stuff. And I think that's something where, you know, separating fact from fiction really comes in because you really have to be careful. I mean, I, I think it's wise. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a real conspiracy theorist and I've, I'm, I'm hesitant to trust government. Uh, you know, I, I see what's going on in government and the way they've targeted certain people and certain groups and call, you know, the politicians, especially calling them extremist groups and things like that. And I'm like, well, hey, that's that's what I believe. And I'm not an extremist. <laughs> I don't see myself as an extremist. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, do I trust them to follow their own laws when they use the impetus of, well, I'm going after an extremist, therefore I have the right. But I also think, too, that it's important not to let your mind just totally go off the beaten path and say, well, that means that they're coming for us tomorrow. There's still like even even. Um, you know, I, even in I wrote an article about the Reichstag lie here uh, last month. Even Adolf Hitler in the beginning had to justify his actions. He couldn't just unilaterally make decisions. And that's that is a hope. I think you brought up a great point about that in the last episode. That is a good hope about America is that we are not China yet. <laughs> We're not Russia. We do have we do have people who are going to fight to stop the overreach of government. We do still have people like that in our government today. So it's not, it's not quite a comparison to China yet. <laughs> yeah. And you know, there's, there's other things that are keeping the government in check. Uh, like the fact that, you know, the number, the number of hunters and gun owners in Wisconsin is more than the entire military uh, of the country. So yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, so, you know, we, in this issue of trust with corporations and government, let's go with let's go with uh, corporations. Uh, start with them. You know, how do you if you don't trust what a corporation is doing? And because you, you you know your role here, you can only give the data, you can only present the data. People are going to disagree with you. People are going to say no. I think the threat is larger than what you're making it, and that's fine. You're we're here to you know, we want to give the correct information. If you don't feel like you can trust a corporation, whether it be Google, whether it be one of the big tech or whether it be another, you know, Walmart or anybody else, what are what are some options that you have for uh, protecting yourself against those corporations? Well, yeah, this is really the beautiful thing about capitalism and the free market is if you don't trust a, a corporation or what their, their products that they're selling, you could find somebody else right? There's, there's going to be somebody else who offers a similar product or service and uh, hopefully has that ability to be trusted. And so you can, you can look out the market, find out who's, what's, what's available, uh, who offers a product that, that meets my needs. And in America, we have a ton of options, especially around technology. Uh, there is no, no shortage of options, even you know, direct competitors for Google. We don't use them very often, but you've heard of DuckDuckGo most likely. Yeah. Uh, search engine that doesn't track you it doesn't keep history and stuff like that so there are options uh, for those things now if we're not in a free market system you know you're a, a communist system or a, 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 a oligarchy or something like that where the government is controlling the market then really uh that's another question 
can I trust any corporation at that point? Right. And and that's something that I guess I've started thinking about a lot and it can, it bothers me. I, I think there's a lot of people that kind of, I don't know, they want to complain about uh, a product, but then they don't want to, they don't want to get rid of it either. And there's, I mean, there is an element of, of frustration where you're like, well, yeah, we're so interconnected that there's no real, there's no real uh, competitor to a Facebook. Like if you run a business, I mean, Facebook has kind of replaced the white pages. If you want to go and find out a company's hours and read their reviews and stuff, Facebook's a great tool for that. But if you don't want to use Facebook, if you're thinking that, well, I'm just concerned about the privacy, there's no real great alternative. However, you, you're stuck in a position there where you're just complaining about Facebook. You should actively try to do something about what you have problems with. I, I guess that's, that's my, that's my thinking. And, and I have an Amazon prime subscription, you know, and I love to buy cause you know, I live in Sydney, Montana, the nearest Costco is four hours away from here. It's very, very difficult to get products here, especially since uh, Shopco went bankrupt. You know, if I want to get something for like my kitchen, like, I don't know, a knife or a, a spoon or something like that, I have to go all the way. I have to go 45 minutes away to Walmart, but at the same point, it's not that Amazon has a, a, a monopoly on all these things. You can go out and find other products, other businesses, and buy online from them. Um, you just have to do the work of finding them. And I think that's kind of where a lot of people are at, too. It seems like where it's like, okay, I, I don't like what this company is doing. Well, then you're going to have to do the work to kind of find something else. I mean, is that a fair, I mean, that's, that's fair, isn't it? Exactly right. And, you know, Amazon isn't the best. They do the most, but they're not the best. If you look at any different product segment, uh, there's definitely an, a, an e-commerce provider out there who provides better prices and better and better service than Amazon. Uh, but but they're, they're convenient. They're, they're convenient, right? Yeah. They kind of put everything in one spot for you. And they give you those ratings and those ability, you know, and it's very, very convenient. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's the issue is we're, we're kind of in a lot of cases addicted to the convenience of things. Yep. They, the thing that they, Amazon does the best is pushing boundaries, uh, lowering, you know, they, they were one of the first ones with the free shipping and, and two day shipping and uh, even same day shipping in some of those cases. So they've been pushing boundaries on those things, but people, but the competition is, is there. And they've been keeping up. You know, I just I've switched to ordering a lot of my uh, sound and and those types of gear from Sweetwater because they do an amazing job of online service and 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 so you know there there are and they've got prices that beat Amazon most of the time and shipping that beats Amazon. Uh -huh. So you know they're they're out there. You just have to you just have to research and, and do the work of researching and looking into those things. Got to use Google. <laughs> yeah. Or no, DuckDuckGo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing that you've mentioned, I've heard someone else mention this too, is diversifying. I'll say diversifying your portfolio. <laughs> but it's like, if you don't like uh, corporations, like if you're concerned about Google, Google is pretty useful for certain things. I mean, they're very convenient, like I said. Um, is, it, is, is it a good idea to to use, you know, if you can't avoid using to a certain extent, if you can't ex avoid using Google or somebody else, is it good to diversify what you use them to do so that they can't 
collect a full profile on your activities? I mean, is that a wise thing to do in normal circumstances? I think it could be depending on, you know, the amount of trust that you have. Certainly, if you don't trust Google, don't give them, you know, your personal information or, or things that you feel are private and shouldn't, you can make that determination of like, oh, I don't want to share that with Google. I don't want them to know uh, everywhere that I go because I'm using a Google phone, right? So you can turn some of those things off. You could choose to use uh, an iPhone instead of a Google phone. There's, uh, there's actually uh, other phones out there by other manufacturers who are designed specifically for security and to keep people from tracking you. So there, there's options. All right, do you know what some of those are? Um, I don't off the top of my head, but I... Okay. Another thing you'd have to just look into and do the do the work of researching, right? <laughs> yeah, use DuckDuckGo to <laughs> to to, uh, to search for those. Um, yeah, no, because I've heard that before. We've just of uh, you know saying, okay, well, if you do searches for, uh, let's say, I mean, on my work, I have a work phone and a and a personal phone, and on my work phone, I have Google, and I might do searches for locations, you know, where's this location, uh, you know, what uh, uh, what kind of a company, you know, look, look on, uh, you know, a company's about us page to look for information on their safety data or whatever. Yeah, I might do that on my work phone, and then on my personal phone, I'm using a different search engine so google as far as they're concerned they're only going to see me searching for you know that, that's the only data they're ever going to collect on me is going to be um you know maybe maybe work-related stuff so they're not going to get a full picture of my personal activities they're just going to get work stuff is that kind of what you're does that kind of what you're talking about that's a good example exactly um maybe to, and just living in different ecosystems for, for different things. So of course I've got, I, one of the things I, I do love Chrome, uh, they've done a good job with that browser. I've used it for many years and you can have uh, different Chrome sessions and with different users and logins, right? So I've, I've got that for my business. I've got my personal separated because of that. Uh, that's not a, a security thing for me. It's more of a convenience thing. Um, right. But I also use uh, other operating systems. I use Mac, um, oh, iOS. I use uh, on my tablet. I use Mac OS. I use Ubuntu, which is Linux. Um, so, you know, different things might require different require. You know, different things. now of course my security is more. I want to protect my business, and my clients, because I host websites. I, you know, do all sorts of things like that, and I'm not as concerned about um, the government coming in for my information or corporations coming for my information. I'm pretty much going to give them most of that anyways um right if you know if you're looking at okay my you know i'm in a in a country that is prohibiting freedom of religion or freedom of communication and you know that becomes a bigger deal where you have to understand okay this you need to establish trust and and with another party so maybe i'm trying to communicate with you micah we want to make this secure so that nobody can listen in well we're doing one of those things right now with, with zoom right that's right that, Technology that allows us to have end-to-end -end encryption, uh, where everything that the, the connection between my computer and your computer are completely encrypted. So if there's anybody trying to listen in, in between us, uh, they're not going to hear anything but jumble. Right. right. So that's and that's where it kind of becomes important to understand. Uh, and I talked about education before too, right? Of understand the the levels and what what part of this technology can you trust and maybe you need to take ownership of some of that 
So getting into the individual then, um, you said, you, you mentioned the OSI model for trusting technology or can you trust the technology? Can you explain what that is and some of the different layers there? Yeah, so the OSI model is a kind of a theoretical, but also it, it's, it's kind of a practical model that IT uh, people will follow for understanding the different levels that technology communicates on. So starting with uh, the physical level, that's the actual uh, wires and, and, think and connections that are being made uh, all the way down to the application level, which is you're looking at a browser on your screen. And so there's seven layers within there that all have kind of unique functions. Uh, they're the physical layer, which is talked about the data link, uh, the network, which is layer three. You may have heard of that. There's layer three switches. That's what routers are doing. Um, there's this transport layer, which is where a lot of our encryption happens with TLS and stuff like that. And session layers and presentation, which is showing you the information and then your application. So ultimately within each of these uh, layers, technology is a lot of layers, right? So right. Um, you, wanna, you need to understand where's the, the security happening? How is it happening? Uh, what, where's my risk? Because ultimately we're all connected physically. Right. right. There's no way that my computer would be able to communicate with yours. Well, I guess there could be a wireless connection in there somewhere, but that, that would still be a physical connection within the OSI model. Uh, and so ultimately, if I can communicate with you, we're connected in some way at that physical link, right? Right. Uh, and so we need to understand, all right, wh where, which of those levels is my security happening and, and how is that happening uh, to protect? So, so for, the, for the individual, and I purposely, when I saw all these earlier in the week, I did not research any of them because I wanted to ask stupid questions. <laughs> I figured, I figured I probably represent your normal user where I've got a little bit of knowledge. I don't have to call tech support for every little thing, but I don't understand some of these concepts. So let's, let's walk through these. So the physical layer, so that you're talking about, this is your hardware. This is your PC, your phone, um, the physical connection that, that you have, like for, for us, it would be, um, I guess the, the equipment we're using, correct? Yeah, exactly. The ethernet wire that comes out of your, your computer or actually more likely the Wi-Fi uh, that, you know, that your connect computer is connecting to your Wi-Fi, which then has the ethernet that goes to your modem. Uh, maybe that's a coax wire or a, a fiber line that goes out from there to the ISP and then connects, interconnects to another ISP and then uh, sends it to my network. So right. that'd be that physical layer, the things that are, the physical pieces of, of hardware in there. Okay. And so your normal, like your normal computer, like if you have windows and you have windows defender, you know, and you have a cell phone and you have your normal security features through Android or, or Apple, your physical security in our communication here, and we're using zoom, which is encrypted our physical security. I mean, that's, that's pretty much built into most, most programs you use. Correct. Well, physical security would be how do you secure your house? You, you put a lock on the door. Right. right. So that's the same. That's what we're talking about here with physical. We're, we're keeping people away from our computer. Now, we know that the, that the you know, the wire coming in from our, our ISP and our modem 
is not to be trusted, right? That's why we have a router in place that's that does that has firewall built in. It's got all those protections because we assume that the connection that's coming in from the outside world is not safe. Oh, you okay? Well, that I did not know. <laughs> I thought the wireless router was just a connection portal. That's it. So it's actually the wireless router is encrypted. Well, that's why you have a, a password to get in there. It says that WPA security or whatever, right? Right. Yeah. So that's that's another layer. Actually, the the wireless is um, that 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 WPA and encryption that's being put on your wireless is is actually probably on the transporter session layers. Uh, or maybe, yeah, I think it would be on one of those, and then those sit on top of the network layer, which is the routing. So, yeah, there's you're, that's a different security thing than like the firewall, which is protecting your um, your connection from malicious traffic on the internet. Okay, and so most of that, but most of that, from an individual standpoint, that's most of that's automatic. Like you don't have to set. I mean, you have to set up the wireless. You know, you have to set up your router so that it has the password and you select, I believe you select the uh, different security you want or whatever, but it's, it's not something you have to be like, like a VPN where you have to go out and get a subscription to, you know, in order to protect yourself. This, a lot of that's just kind of built into the technology, right? Well, right. Yeah. And they're, they're designed to be secure, but again, this goes back to trust, right? You know, trust the manufacturer of your router, then you're fine but maybe you want to understand a little bit more about the underlying technology. Uh, I read an interesting article, um, if you remember, the WRT54G uh, wireless routers of, the, I think, early 2000s made by um, Linksys. Those, oh, yeah. Those were based on uh, a Unix uh, core, which was an open license uh, and so, and then it, what ended up happening was they had to reveal the operating system on that because of the way that those uh, licenses work. And so people were able to go and completely understand it because they got a, a copy of the code. They were able to go through that and, and make changes, customize it, install their own, uh, flash their own version of, of the ROM on there and really kind of customize and, became, and people still buy those routers today uh, because of that, that ability to, to customize and look at it under the hood. And that's a that's a little bit more like you know if you're a, if you're a normal person buying a, a car you're not going to make a whole lot of modifications to the engine but if you're a mechanic you might do a little bit more <laughs> under the hood than okay. your typical person so that's more of like a beefed up <laughs> type thing. Um, so talk about the next layer that the data lake again. What that's that is your. Um, I guess you said that like the communications between the ISPs and all that or what. Yeah, so that's where your your packets are being routed around on a network, and they this is a layer two. So if you think of switches, those are layer two most of the time. Okay. Not routing, so they'll they're they're they might they also become they're also called dumb switches instead of smart switches. So your your modem or your uh sorry your router will be a, a smart switch. It it's looking at at the IP addresses, uh, how to how to route them across the best on a network and all the switch all the switches that are going out on the, like an isp and on the internet they're all having to determine all right what's the best route uh for me to take the shortest path uh from a to b for this packet that's traveling on the on the web how, how should i send that that's what right. we're three. but it, the data link is really just okay and and i'm going to send a i'm going to send this packet because to the whatever you know this person is with their mac id and just send it over there because they want it 
Okay, so uh, the the data link then would that be that does that sounds like when you're at your home and you're using your wireless connection, that's more of a passive ability that's already set up. You don't need to worry about that too much. What about if you have like a cell phone and you take it to another network? Is that where like a VPN comes in? Um, no, so D- VPNs are really going to operate on a much higher level. Uh, they're they're operating down again on the. Uh, presentation application level even because of of you know, sitting on your phone or your computer uh and, and that's where we were talking about these layers you know so you're layering an encrypted technology on top of maybe an unencrypted technology right or you're layering it on top of additional security protections so we talked about your um transport level security right when i connect to a website i've got the https up there in the little padlock uh, I'm encrypting that connection. I can also connect to that website over a VPN so that I've double layered parts of those communications going out. Okay. You know, some people will do a VPN. And then if you really want to be uh, anonymous, you put something like a Tor browser, uh, the onion router, which is Tor and, you know, put that on top of there and then you'll be more, even more anonymous uh, than if you're just using a VPN. Okay. And then talk about the network layer again. So the network layer is where the route, the routing is happening on your network. So as a, when, I don't know how deep in the weeds we want to go on that, but. <laughs> well, <laughs> try to keep it basic, try to keep it basic. <laughs> but essentially when your computer says, Hey, I need to send a package to, or a packet to uh, this computer over here, here's their IP address. Then the router is making that decision of, okay, here's how it's going to get there. From a, from a user, from an end user standpoint, then oh, is okay. that. Layers, layers A through F are basically invisible for users. Unless you're digging into that, you're not going to see those things happening. Okay, okay. So as far as the end user goes then, what types of things do we need to be really concerned about if we want to make sure our privacy is at the, the top level here within course within reason uh you know we talked about i mean that's a good analogy the, the mechanic versus the the person who's not buying a car obviously a mechanic is going to want to they're going to have the ability to go in and mess around with things and customize things more so than a just a normal person but what types of things should should everyone be doing or most people be well, doing the question is if you truly want to be secure and anonymous you have to understand every layer um, and you have to understand the technology behind it and how to secure it. And if you don't understand that, you tr- you have to find somebody that you trust to do that, right? Right. So ultimately, that's where that's why trust is so important because no one person can fully understand uh, the technology and the code that goes into every single layer. Uh, right. If you're a really good, great programmer, you might not understand hardware. Or if you're sourcing your hardware, you might not be able to see some of the code that's underlying that. So we have to find uh, trust at some point. Right. Well, so it kind of be like uh, a doctor, right? You 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 don't understand all diseases. Um, so at some point, you know, unless you're you think you're a genius and you can go out to uh, WebMD and solve all your problems and treat all your problems, which isn't advisable, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, at some point, you have to to trust the word of a doctor or a nurse or you know a practitioner like that. Uh, I mean, is that a good analogy of of how technology works as well with security? That is, yeah, and that's why ultimately we have if we don't trust the U.S. government, for example, 
then we're really at a bad place because they're the ones who are enforcing regulations. They're in, they're enforcing that you know that doors aren't added to products. And then, in fact, that's one of the reasons that I am critical of some of the, the legislation around you know reducing encryption, forcing Apple and other companies to put in back doors so that the uh, federal government can access technology. And, and those things are always. Uh, they're found by hackers, but they're also just they keep it. You know, yes, bad actors can utilize those technologies and and do bad things, but they're going to do bad things regardless. And this isn't right. going to be. Uh, it's just going to prevent good people from being able to communicate. Right. So, you, so really, I mean, the, the overall thing here then is, if you want to protect yourself from from corporations and government or government in particular. The the biggest thing to do is rather than diving into the to all these layers of security, which admittedly it looks pretty daunting to me uh, to uh, to really understand all these things. Um, the the best thing you can do is stay informed as a citizen and be a watchdog for the various laws that protect our privacy and security, and then be a champion of those and speak out and elect people and vote for people who will protect those. I mean, that that's going to be your number one defense, right? Ultimately, yeah, it is. Right. And, and, it, and I think you're right. I think when you talk about trust level, you know, when we don't trust our government, we're in a bad spot. And uh, boy, I, that is true. I mean, I think we are in a bad spot because I see a lot of, uh, one of the things I I've been uh, following here is, uh, uh, do you know uh, Tom McDonald? I'm not familiar with him. Okay, he's a he's a rapper. He's a white rapper, and he's jumped onto the scene here. He's blown up here in the last, oh, even just several months. He's been on now Glenn Beck, Fox News. Um, I think uh, Daily Wire's had him on. Uh, he's been real big in the rap community. I've been watching a lot of rap reaction videos of rappers who watch him and. And one of the things that comes out of his music that is, and it's, it's trending, like he's been number one on on iTunes. He's, he's huge on Facebook. He's an independent. uh, So he markets his own stuff, but he's been, uh, he's been one of the most popular musicians here, here recently. And his music really is about how the government is just taking advantage of us all. And we can't trust them. And it's resonating with a lot. I mean, that's why his, his videos are are hitting the top of the charts is because a lot of people, it's resonating with them uh, that we can't trust their government. That is a significant problem, I think, moving forward is, you know, <laughs> I mean, we talk about the swamp, you know. Um, that seems to be like maybe the biggest issue facing this country moving forward into the next two years and the next four years. Do you, I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's it's vitally important to be able to trust your government and to trust that they're going to be uh, taking care of the things that they say they're going to take care of, right? We, that they're enacting, they're enforcing their laws uh, and those types of things. That has to be happening. Yeah. Right laws, right? We got to have the right laws and uh, trust that they're going to pass the right laws to keep uh, an open, uh, open system of communication, open, you know, market, free market. Those types of things. Yeah, that's, that's going to be up to, I, that'd be another interesting podcast to do is really try to research what laws are applicable to 
privacy and security in particular, what what we should be really paying attention to, because so much of this stuff ha- that happens is backdoor. I remember um, one of the frustrating things when I worked in insurance, for example, was uh, you couldn't write. It was right right during the time where, or right after the time where Nashville had its 1,000-year floods. And uh, I was working for a small independent agent in uh, Tennessee at the time. And we sold flood insurance. And after that flood event, I mean, you couldn't get a policy, a homeowner's policy, if you were anywhere near a flood zone because uh, the bank wouldn't secure it. And so we had to start writing uh, flood policies and you could only write them through the National Flood Insurance Program, the NFIP. And I remember every year it would come up for renewal and every year um, people on both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, would load up that bill with all sorts of pork and all sorts of different things that you just, you know, you'd read through it and you'd be like, what does that have to do with the national flood insurance program? Nothing, but they would bind it together with it. And then, and this is one of the things that made me lose a lot of respect for former president Obama. He would come on and he would talk about how the Republicans are not, they're stalling the national flood insurance program. And they are, I can't renew it without their vote and their, you know, uh, they're uh, under, you know, of course, a lot of flood areas, uh, minorities are under, are overrepresented in flood areas and things like that. And he would just use that. And in reality, it was that there was so much other pork and nonsense in the bill that we didn't want to pass the NFIP and then have all this other stuff pass along with it, because that's where, that's where some of these backdoor, you know, these little, these little things that are put into place in the law that come to fruition later that's where those appear because it's all under the auspice of this is the national flood insurance program. This is needed. And, and public opinion goes towards that. And I, I think that uh, it would be, it would be really fascinating. I mean, we should probably do this uh, to really jump into which laws you need to be on. Like, is there, I'm assuming, is there a watchdog group out there that is watching those type of laws that someone could follow and just, you know, every once in a while check in with them and see if they've got any updated information. Do you know of any of thing like that? You know, I don't off the top of my head, but I'm sure that there are some, some good uh, groups out there who do that. I know I've used uh, the Congress app before that uh, shows you uh, all the legislation that's currently being voted on or in the pipeline. And that's a really great way to keep up on some of these things. Does it include embedded measures and bills and stuff like does it outline those well it will show you the raw bill so you, you oh, okay. read some of that stuff but yeah. it'll give you a high level view of the bill and what's included right right i should I, yeah i should i should definitely research that a little bit and see if there's a because there's a lot of interesting um uh websites out there where people follow uh, this stuff I found uh, collegefix.com. I don't know if you've ever gone there, uh, but they kind of follow higher education and some of the trends in higher education, and they read through like academic journals, and they'll find important or relevant uh, articles that academics are writing, and they put them on their page and stuff, and it's it's fascinating stuff. But I'll have to do that and post it to our blog page. Just to that, that would be a great resource because because I think that's kind of the first. The, the most on the uh, that's kind of the umbrella principle here but um, you made you made a note in your outline too about relying on as little as others and that comes back to the trust issue um, 
and use a, using established encryption system on others' networks. Can you go through that and describe what you're talking about there? Yeah, so really what I'm saying is to try to rely on other people as little as possible. And this is really in the situation where you are uh, at a no trust, right? You, you can't trust anybody. And this is where you might be in a hostile country. Uh, maybe you have, you're trying to uh, communicate in a hostile country or, you know, um, work and live in, a, in that kind of environment. And this is really where you've, you've got a, you've got three things that you need to secure. You've got to secure your communication. Uh, you've got to secure your data at rest and your data in transit. So the communication piece is I want to, you know, we, we need to talk. We need to ha say something. I need to be able to do, I need to do three things on that. I need to be able to identify myself. I need to be able to identify the person that I'm talking to and then ensure that what my, my communication with you isn't um, messed with in, in that, in, when I send it to you, right? So it's not changed or, or anything like that. Right. So there's some technology out there. Uh, one of them is PGP, which stands for pretty good privacy. <laughs> and so PGP is <laughs> really good privacy. It's not pretty good. It's really good. And it uses a public-private encryption uh, handshake, essentially, to facilitate that. So what that means is that you and I, without ever having spoken before, can positively identify each other as the, both the sender and the recipient and also then securely communicate without anybody being able to mess with that communication without us knowing. Uh, and it works with some fun math where, you know, you've got uh, really, really big primes. You come up, essentially you come up with this, this public key and that's what you give people. And that public key can be used by anybody to, to encrypt a message and send it to you. And you're the only one who can unlock it because you have the private key. And so okay. Private, it's called asymmetric encryption uh, because they're, they're, they're two different level sides to it, the public side and the private side. So that's, that works really well. But if you ever give somebody your private key, it all falls apart, you know? <laughs> so right. private key, but then everybody can have the public key. Uh, so, so would that be, so like an example of that would be, okay. Um, I'm concerned as a citizen of the United States, I'm concerned that the threat from government, that they're going to start targeting anyone who, let's say, voted for Donald Trump. You know, they're going to they're going to see them as a clear and present danger. And I'm worried about that. So I'm going to want to get. Like if I'm talking with friends, like we have a, a group of four of us that talk about politics and, you know, we're open with each other. We may say some things that, you know, if taken out of context might be viewed, Oh, I don't know about that. You know? So you want to maybe set up something like this where it's encrypted so that you are, you are guaranteed that you're in a closed circuit basically. Yeah, exactly. And this is actually uh, what one of the technologies that that signal uses, uh, they just miss, they just facilitate the generation of the public private keys and sharing them with the network and everything like that. So that if you were to go and use PGP, you would be taking more of those things into your own control, right? Where you're right. actually creating the, the public and private key with your own computer so that you're, you're eliminating the middleman. Now there's more work to that. There's more technical uh, expertise. There's a little bit more security if you don't understand what you're doing. Uh, you might end up making it worse. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Now, does the other person have to be using that same form of 
encryption for you to talk to them? They do, yes. So they need to be okay. used PGP if you're using PGP um, so that their computer would be able to, because they would have to have a public, uh, a public key generated for you to securely communicate with them. Out. Right. So what type of a program, like, do you know of any of the, of these, uh, uh, like any companies that offer PGP like applications or how would you go about getting, getting this? Yeah, there are uh, tools that you can download. PGP has been around since the 90s, early 90s, and, and it can sit on top of any email platform is where it's been used. So oh, okay. Install that and, and you know, there's an extension for Outlook uh, and those types of things where you'll be able to just send an email and use PGP to encrypt it and send it to a contact that way. Okay, and you mentioned Signal, and just for people listening, Signal's a chat application and we use it. Um, we use it for, I mean, I, I pretty much exclusively use it now unless someone else doesn't have it, then I use text. But um, for the most part, for communication, when someone else has Signal installed, it's a free free application. And it has, uh, you know, a pin that you have to put in every once in a while to verify it's you. But it uses, you. I think you called it at one point like a poor man's PGP or something like that or a lazy man's or something like that. What, what, what did you say about it? <laughs> You know, you're you're putting uh, the trust of that key management into the hands of the signal uh, application. Yeah, trust again, right? Yeah, it's just trust, right? Um, when you talk about uh, putting this PGP over an email or having like a uh, an add-on to like Outlook or something, um, what about a service like Proton Mail? Is that kind of the same concept? Again, you're putting trust in a company to do this for you, but are, is that a similar concept there? It is, yes. So Proton Mail is uh, is using a form of PGP where, a, and and so that's you know within within Proton Mail you can communicate securely if you're respond if you're sending emails to people outside of Proton Mail and they have a public key you can use that to send it and encrypt that to, you know that communication, but you can also send mail unencrypted if you send it to somebody who isn't using uh, one of those technologies. So yeah, but Proton Mail would be a good example of that same thing where you're entrusting them to keys. Uh, now Proton Mail doesn't ever know your keys. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons why you have to not only put in your username and password to log into Proton Mail, but also there's another step of putting in a password to unlock your mailbox. And that's that that password is is uh, stored as a hash so that they won't ever see it, and they'll just compare that hash during their process and and unlock it. But again, the, you have to trust them because they could change that process, and you know maybe they, at one point they collect your your um, your key and then they have access to it. So you have to trust that they're not going to do that. Right. Um, I saw in Proton Mail, and I've also seen this on my on my phone. Um, the option for a VPN and you've recommended that in the past or you've, or you've, you've, uh, I know you've, you've spoken that they're, those are good for securing data in transit. Can you talk a little bit about the VPN? Yeah. VPNs are really, are very good for securing, uh, your data in transit when you don't want people that maybe it's your ISP. Uh, maybe you feel like uh, if you're sharing a network with somebody, if you're on somebody else's network at school or work or something like that, uh, then you don't want 
them to know what's going on with that transaction because there's a lot of different things that can it can be ascertained with that you know with that traffic so uh for example all the websites that you visited uh maybe those are bank websites maybe those are uh if you're uh in a in a government like china or north korea there's a lot of websites that they block uh, you from ever accessing and in, in Wikipedia is one of them. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons that you might want to use a VPN uh, right. to prevent from knowing where you're going and, and actually prevent you from getting there. Uh, yeah. So is a VPN, so is a VPN, a VPN is more, more or less, it's not something you'd really necessarily set up for your home computer or your home network. It's more something that you'd want for your cell phone. Like when I travel, I go to airports. There's, I mean, when my Wi-Fi picks up, uh, all these different uh, networks. I mean, there's like hundreds of them because people have their mobile hotspots on and all this stuff. Basically, that's when you'd want to use a VPN is when you're jumping on somebody else's like the airport network or whatever uh, to yeah. that would be that would be the primary uses of that, right? Definitely in those situations, but it could be using it at home as well. And and there's a couple, I mean, VPN stands for virtual private network. So you right. have to Trust. If you're if you're using somebody else's VPN, which I know, you know, like uh, Proton Mail, for example, you're connecting. You're basically creating an encrypted connection between your computer and their server. And then think of it: uh, if you're drawing a line from what's happening, it's going to go from your your computer's A, their computer's B, and then computer C is maybe the, the server that you're going to connect to to go online or to to go to a website, right? So it's going to go A, B, C versus if you're not using VPN, it's going to go A, C. And so that's okay. encryption is happening between A and B. Now, it's not happening between B and C. And so anybody who's in between B and C would still see that communication. But that's an important thing to note about how VPNs work. Uh, and VPNs can be, you create that, that virtual private network between A and B. And so your ISP, anybody who's in between, anybody who's listening to the airwaves, if you're on Wi-Fi, it's open. They won't be able to see it, but people who are between B and C could. Right. So, um, and that's where the trust factor comes in, right? Um, so it, it sounds like VPN, though, that would be more of a security issue from hacking, right? Because um, as I understand it, and I'm pretty ignorant, so don't laugh. <laughs> As I understand it, uh, uh, hackers, like phishing, you know, we get phishing emails at work all the time where you have to really watch and they'll, they'll, then the company will send fake phishing attempts and try to catch you. And then you get in trouble if you clicked on them and stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, hacking is where someone is actively breaking into your network and accessing your data. And generally speaking, they'll typically go for the weakest link in the chain. They're not, you know, if you have a VPN and you've got these different encryption things and, and security enabled, you're less of a target than if someone who just joins a wireless network, they don't put any security on it. They don't really worry about any of this stuff. They're going to be a bigger target for hacking than someone who's kind of beefing up their security, correct? Maybe. I mean, VPN it's protecting your communication and that data in transit, but it's not foolproof and it's not, and I'd say that where it's not foolproof because again, B to C is open, right? Right. So that, that, that's, that's, that's not protecting that 
that connection right there. It's also not protecting your computer if it's it's got vulnerabilities and there's somebody on the local network that's trying to uh, access those vulnerabilities or you've got a weak password. It's not protecting you from everything. It's protecting you in a, in a very limited thing from a very certain subset of attacks. Right. But so, I mean, so a VPN in and of itself isn't going to necessarily make you uh, more secure from a hacker. But if you have, if you combine a VPN with a very strong set of passwords and other security, you're making yourself less of a target. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're, right. you're fully improving your, your situation. So, so it's kind of like, it's kind of like the law of the jungle then. I mean, it's like the weak wildebeest is the one that gets targeted by the lions. <laughs> <laughs> just run faster than everybody else, right? <laughs> analogy as long you know if you're running away from a bear, the slowest person gets eaten. <laughs> the slowest people you're good, right? Right. <laughs> well, then, because well, one other aspect of that we just talked about it was passwords. Um, you uh, you've recommended to me LastPass in the past. Is it is it a good idea to have like a a password program like that that's generating these really complex passwords for you and manages them can that work across platforms and is that a good idea because i know you're you're trusting again it's a trust issue you're trusting the corporation LastPass, or another another company like that um but is that a good idea so that your your passwords are always really strong and Keep that just adds another layer to your security. It keeps you from uh, being less, or makes you less vulnerable. Yeah, well, it's a convenience aspect again, and security. And so you know for sure that having really good, long, secure passwords is a good thing. Uh, we know as well that having a unique password for every different web service that you use is important. And therefore you're not going to be able to remember all those passwords so you have to have some kind of system to do that and every other system it has every system has its flaws uh i feel like using a password manager has the least flaws and is one of the best ways to do that so well because even even think about i'm even thinking about my own personal usage here when i went to do the zoom meeting so you don't really garrett hosts our meetings so I don't worry about that, but because I had to host, I had to sign up for Zoom. And when I did, it gives me the option, do you want to sign up with your Google password, with your Google account? I'm like, well, that's way simpler than going through the whole process of writing down the password and the security questions and all that. So that's what I did. I signed up using my Google. And I was like, that's really not because I have that for all of my, I've got a ton of applications that allow you to sign in with Google or Facebook. And that actually is not all that secure. <laughs> if I think, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. So, I mean, it can be secure if your Google account is secure. And if Google maintains a really good security on that, there was, I can't remember the details, but Facebook had an issue with their, um, I think it's OAuth that they use for that, for that uh, mechanism to allow you to log in. And they had an issue with the way there's, was executed or something and, and, you know, caused some security problems. But again, yeah, if you trust Facebook, if you trust Google to handle that for you, it makes it easier and is probably more secure than setting up a really bad, simple password. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and that's, and that's, that's the problem, right? You set up a simple thing for your Google or your Gmail so that you can remember it. And then 
all these other programs allow you to sign in with your your Google passwords. So if any of those become compromised, suddenly you're exposed. Well, and, and I used to I I I think another uh, well I'll ask you another another good idea, and this goes into the the risk aspect of transferring risk. You know, where we talked about you. Uh, having like an identity theft or life lock, or there's a program called identity guard that actually they scan and monitor like your credit file and all these other aspects of your life, social media, they, they pay attention to data breaches and stuff like that. And then they'll notify, send you a notification if something that a password or account you have has been part of that breach and it alerts you right away and then you can go change it. Um, that's kind of a valuable service. Um, now they can be, they can be a little pricey sometimes. Um, but you know, that, that's something that people could also consider as a, just another, another layer here of adding to your security and making yourself less vulnerable is, is plugging a hole the minute it appears as opposed to finding out a year from now. Oh yeah. I forgot that, uh, you know, <laughs> There was a data breach. I mean, oh, wow, that was last year. You know, I need to I need to plug that hole. Right, exactly. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important to have those unique passwords. Uh, because as we've seen so often, people don't necessarily store passwords in the best way. Uh, yeah. And what you should be doing with when you're when you're taking a password from from somebody, if you put your password in on a website, etc., you should be if you're the website owner, hashing that password and salting it, which means that you're essentially uh, making it, oh, there's these things called a one-way hash. So I can take a password and I run it through a hash and it comes out to be a 20, 256 character thing every time. Oh, wow. The password is completely unique. So that's with a hash uh, and it's one way. I can never go backwards. I can never say, all right, here's a hash. What was the password that created that? Oh, okay. Right. Because it's so it, because of the mathematics and the complexity of that, I can't go that way with a good hash. So that's how that's how websites should store it. Well, there's one problem, is that if you know, let's say I've got my password one two three four five six, which is actually one of the most common passwords out there, uh, yeah. with password and password explanation mark or something like that. But yeah, uh, if I have that as my password, uh, guess what? If I get a, if I get a database of passwords, I'm going to see that same hash every time. Right, right. And then, so then I all of a sudden I if I've if I've if I've gone back and and I've I've revert I've brute forced is what it's called where I'm just trying a bunch of different passwords, putting it to get with see what the hash is. I'm going to be able to see everybody who used that password in this database. Oh. And, and and so what I'm going to do then is I'm going to be able to pull that data out and I'm, I don't even have to I don't even have to crack each password. I just have the common ones already figured out. Well. Uh, salting then is taking a diff some different information that's unique to that person, or maybe it's um, something is generated. There's a bunch of different algorithms that will do this really, really well, but it will make it so that if my password is one, two, three, four, five, six, for me, that that produces this hash, but for somebody else, it produces a different hash. Oh. If that hacker gets that database of all these passwords, they see hashes and they're all unique, even if the passwords are the same. Uh, oh, wow. that so so does that work on the the like the website you go to? Does that work on their site or is that what a program like LastPass does? So that's what their site does. That's what their server should be doing. Okay, should be. Trust. <laughs> in fact, a lot of places still store passwords in plain text. 
which means that they're not even hashing the password. Um, like, you go to a website and it says recover my password and they email you a password. That means that they're storing that password in, in plain text. They should always say, reset your password. Here's a link to reset it because that means that they don't know your password. It's only a hash. They can't tell you what it is. Right. Wow. Well, and you know, I remember hearing about, there was like a, a Walmart data breach or something a long time, you know, several years ago. And I remember reading about it and, and the way that uh, the breach data was obtained was it was something extremely stupid. Like the, the manager, the manager who had access to all this left like his password right on his computer, you know, like taped to the screen or something in the bottom of the screen, you know, and that's how that whole data was stolen. And I mean, it was, it, I don't know if it was that exact, you know, method, but it was something really stupid like that. So even if, even if a website or a company is using good, good, uh, you know, like hashes and salting and all that stuff, I mean, they still could be exposed. So you still need to create, you know, your passwords that are strong. And also, um, you know, with, with LastPass, my understanding is those type of programs, don't they also change your password for you? Like if you want to change your password on, uh, you know, your Gmail password or something, you've got to go through a process of doing the password reset, send you an email to your alternate email address. You do all your security thing and then you do your new password. Does that, does that work automatically with a company like, you know, a, like LastPass? Yeah, so essentially what LastPass is doing is uh, automating that process, logging in, reset, going to the password reset page, uh, generating an, a new secure password and putting that in there. So that works really well for a lot of the common websites. It can be hit or miss for more obscure websites. Okay, and then one, la one last thing you mentioned too is VeraCrypt, secure data storage. What is, what is that? Because I think uh, I, that, was the, that was one of the issues I really wanted to touch on was are, I, I have set up my home network to uh, basically, I don't store any data on my hard drives. It all goes to the cloud. It's all automatic for the cloud. I had a Microsoft One Cloud or a, yeah, Microsoft One, one was it One Drive? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> one Cloud, I don't know why I gave them that. Um, but no, I, that's where all the data goes. Is cloud, cloud storage, is that secure? I mean, again, based on what company you're using, but how does VeraCrypt work with secure data storage and clouds and all that? Yeah, great question. So, you know, if you use OneDrive, it's very convenient. And of course you're storing it on highly reliable, you know, nine to the nine sixes uh, data storage, which is really hard to replicate at home. Uh, in fact, probably impossible since if your house burns down, it's pretty much gone. Um, but you know, you, you're trusting their security at that point as well. So they've, you know, the transaction between your computer and their server is going to be, uh, over a TLS connection. So you've got security in transit. They're also securing your, your data in storage and encrypting it. Um, but they have access to it because they have to be able to, uh, facilitate those the transactions and everything. And so ultimately it's, it's encrypted, but it's not the, the, OneDrive or Microsoft would still be able to access your data. Uh, something like VeraCrypt, but, uh, on the other hand, would be able to encrypt it on your hard drive before it ever sends it to OneDrive to store it. And so what you're doing there is you're, you're making sure that not only is the data uh, encrypted locally so that if you know, somebody were to grab your computer and abscond with it, uh, they wouldn't be able to recover that data. 
uh, but also Microsoft or anybody who's you know accessing Microsoft, so maybe that'd be the government or somebody like that, can't uh, view that data in either because you you've encrypted it. Oh. So it's kind of like in a sense, it's almost like if you want to secure a package, you take it to a bank vault, but the government can always come in and request access to the bank vault. And ultimately, I mean, if you don't trust them and they're untrustworthy, they could ultimately just open the bank vault and there's the information, but encrypting it before it goes to the bank vault is like scrambling up the data so that it requires a, a key or something, an encryption key to, that only you have, and you're giving that to the bank that way the bank can't access it. Even if they access it, they'd have no idea what it was because they don't have your key. Is that kind of a, Good analogy. Great analogy. Yeah. Well, that I mean, well, that's 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 huge. Then, uh, so you said Veracrypt. Is that? Are there others out there that are are good to use as well? Yeah. And, does, and, do, and do those work across devices too? Like, if you have, like, I have a a PC, I have a Microsoft Surface Pro two, and I have a cell phone. Could all those connect with the same Veracrypt? Uh, yes. Yeah. So it, it's a little bit more complicated to set up because you have to. Um, install and, and configure that across each of your devices, but it is possible. Uh, Veracrypt is one of them. It's an open source solution. I believe it's a fork of uh, TrueCrypt, which uh, in 2014, I think, I, I used to use TrueCrypt a lot, and uh, they kind of sent out an announcement that very, and under very shady terms, like, don't use this anymore. And it seemed very much like they had you know, the government had somehow said, you know, put a backdoor required something or whatever. Oh, but, really? Uh, <laughs> that went on and nobody found anything because it's all open source and the code was available. But a uh, Veracrypt is a, is a fork of that uh, original uh, code and that is is viewed as very highly secure today. Huh, well, that's, that's, good. that's good information to have. So, I mean, so I guess just to kind of recap everything we talked about here, basically... This whole issue of big tech and government and corporations, data mining, all this stuff really comes down to your level of trust in these entities. And if you if you have full trust in the it's going to require you to really essentially you're going to you're not going to have as well, let me back up. We, we have so much convenience in our interconnectedness with the way Facebook works, the way Google works, the way those apps connect to each other and make it seamless. And as we are becoming more aware of the unreliability and untrustworthiness of governments and corporations, it it's on us to take a step back and really pay attention to the data we're sending to what we're putting online to the to the applications and the companies that we're using being aware of their privacy policies uh being aware of what alternates are available you know and 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 uh really understanding taking a little more initiative to understand our own security taking that into our own hands as opposed to relying on just okay the laws of the country to protect us and the corporations to do what they say they're doing the less trustworthy they are the more we need to be vigilant in understanding our own privacy and our own security and then we can take steps to secure our data and our online privacy 
uh, with things like VPNs and the PGP, like using using Signal instead of your regular stock texting app that your phone comes with, um, using Veracrypt to secure your data before it goes to a cloud. You're not. You're, you're never going to get to a point where you are completely secure and also connected to the world around you but you can take measures to uh layer your layer your privacy and your security uh not use certain programs that you don't trust and ultimately uh, we need to be a little more proactive in understanding our own security and privacy is that a fair summation of what we've what we've kind of covered over this whole last three podcasts good summary uh of it is Exactly, and know what what's your goal, what's your objective, and if you know if you are a small fish and nobody's really looking at you, base level is okay. But if you are actively a target, or if you're actively uh, rebelling against government policy, like you know freedom of religion and and you know those types of things, you, it becomes a much bigger deal very quickly. Right, and and the last I guess the last thing to to talk about then would be really from a and I guess this would be, I mean, this would apply to everybody, but I think from a, from a Christian standpoint as well, wherever you're concerned, I guess the, the real issue would be kind of lowering your profile, I guess. Uh, I, I guess I can, I can only think of a, uh, of a movie quote actually from Harry Potter and the prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> Go to Harry Potter here where uh, the Dementors of Azkaban are guarding the perimeter of the school, and, and Dumbledore is warning the students, and he says, "Give their, it's not in their nature to be merciful, so give them no reason to harm you. And that's kind of, I, I, that's, that was came to mind as I was thinking through all of this. How do, you, how do you give the government and corporations and things like the people you don't trust? How do you, what, what are your recommendations as far as just being vigilant and lowering your profile to uh, those entities, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think no, don't don't bring attention to yourself. Uh, don't uh, put out a podcast that says you're doing all these things. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? That uh, honestly, <laughs> we we've had these conversations. You know, there's a there's a price that you know could be paid, and I, I think personally, I, I feel like one of the ways that um, you know, our, our mission on earth is to share the gospel, is to, to go to be there for another world, make disciples, right? Um, obviously, Satan is going to want to stop that. And as I see things moving towards more censorship and being, you know, people connecting uh, religion in particular to more extremist things. You know, if, if you try to follow the Great Commission and you use whatever platform you have, whether it be a blog, whether it be a podcast, whether it be your personal private page, whether it be your circle of friends, you are taking a greater risk in society these days. And you do have to count the cost and then be willing to pay that because there's no way like for me I'm, I'm talking about myself like i want to secure my data but at the same point i'm out here on the blog saying lots of things that you know <laughs> would be considered extremist in leftist circles for sure and could ultimately put a target on my back but i you know that's a cost you're gonna have to pay there's no way to be doing that and stay completely secure you're gonna have to you're gonna have to choose what risk level you're willing to accept according to what god has called you individually to do right exactly 
we still have a lot of freedom here. Uh, but you know, there are, there are places that what we talk about now wouldn't be acceptable. And so we need to protect, we need to try to ensure that we, we don't get there. Right. And I think that's too, I, I think that plays back into just being our, our thankfulness, uh, being thankful that we do still live in a country that, that, um, you know, even even at the very least gives lip service to some of these principles. And, uh, you know, like I said, with like, you know, there's an emergence of of a kind of an awakening happening uh, where more and more people are distrustful of the government. Now, I don't I don't necessarily think that's a it's a great thing, because if not if not led by wisdom and a fear of the Lord, I think that it could uh, like it could lead to more populism. And I, I'm not a fan of populism in and of itself. I think as far as it sees a threat from the left, you know, populism and conservatism are uh, kind of bedfellows, I guess. But, um, you know, it. it Populism could go the wrong way completely, too. And I don't necessarily see that just simply mistrusting the government uh, will lead to more, you know, better laws for the country. I think it has to be guided by wisdom, not fear or mistrust. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, just uh, it's, it's just good to, for all of us to maintain vigilance and be paying more attention. And I think we're going to have to all work a little bit harder to uh keep track of our own security and our own privacy uh, in this changing world. Good words. Yeah. Well, unfortunately we're out of time for today. Um, I want to thank everyone out there for listening and I hope you tune in again for our next podcast. As we continue to explore the issues that divide our country and our church, if you have any questions regarding our show or would like to drop us a comment, you can find us on the web at www.onthe.rocks. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks for listening. And Marshall in particular, uh, thank you very much for coming on the show the last couple, last few weekends and diving into this detail. I have learned certainly a lot and I know uh, people listening have too. So thank you very much for the information. It's been great. Oh, thank you. And hopefully it's been beneficial for uh Music for today's podcast is brought to you by bensound.com, royalty-free music. 